0: Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more hoops goodness headed your way.
1: People want to do it. Once they get it up and running, they they do love it. And you can tell that you know the participants are super passionate, so it's there's a lot of you know doing it for the love of the game. There's a lot of volunteers that want to get involved.
0: On today's podcast, we're joined by Lee Gooding, General Manager of Game Development and Wheelchair Programmes at Basketball Australia. We're talking about the array of programs that are available nationally from grassroots to elite and the remarkable success of our rollers and gliders despite limited commercial support. This makes sharing their successes and challenges so important so that they can get that much-deserved visibility. These athletes are so talented and the competition is next-level fierce. Listen out for upcoming tournaments in New South Wales that will showcase some of our elite rollers and gliders. The Men's National Wheelchair Basketball League is on in Shoal Harbour this weekend, and also in mid-June at the Hills Hornets Stadium. The AIS in Canberra is hosting the Women's National Tournament in late July through to early August, showcasing our amazing women's gliders just before they head to Tokyo. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze, Lee Gooding. It's been a while since we've spoken, Lee. How are you doing?
1: I'm well, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, definitely been a while, mate, and um, back to the Sydney days, but uh, they were they were good days. <laughs> they were indeed. So, Lee, you're down with BA at the
0: moment. You've got a what seems like a very interesting and wide-ranging role. Could you give us a bit of a background on what it is that you're doing down at Basketball Australia with basketball in general and obviously in more detail with wheelchair basketball?
1: Yeah, sure, Paul. Um, well, I've been with Basketball Australia now for about nine years, mainly in the uh, wheelchair basketball space. Uh, started as a team manager, then a, a program manager and moved into a general manager role in the basketball department, which is quite a big department in BA. And covers off um, many areas of the sport. The main area I'm getting sort of um, caught up in is the wheelchair basketball space with the Paralympic teams and our junior emerging groups. Basketball departments also looks after things like Aussie hoops, Australian junior championships, three-on-three community and, and high-performance teams in both able Bot and uh, Para, and also walking basketball And a few other things. So um, it's quite a big area. There's quite a few team members in that group and uh, I'm just one of those people that work in there. Also with Mark Quinn and Lauren Jackson who look after the WNBL as well. So they're part of that team as well. And we all sit under um, Paul Maley as part of that basketball department.
0: Okay. One of the things obviously I'd really like to get into in this podcast is wheelchair basketball. So could you give us a bit of a rundown of how wheelchair basketball sits in Australia at the moment?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Look, it's one of those things that the sport's been fairly affected by the whole COVID situation, like most other sports around the country. And we we weren't able to run a national league last year for our NWBL or our WNWBL, which is our men's national league and our women's national league. We also had the Kevin Coombs Cup tournament for our state junior championships uh, cancelled as well due to COVID and our Frank Ponta Cup which we run later in the year for our emerging and developing athletes from around the country. So COVID's hit us pretty hard, like most sports, but um, we've just managed to sort of get up and running in the last few months with some camps in Canberra for some of the different high-performance teams. We're looking at kicking our leagues off. This coming weekend is actually the first round for the men's NWBL, National Basketball League, uh, in Shell Harbour. It's going to be good. Hopefully this um, little outbreak in Victoria doesn't affect a few players that are heading up for that. We're hopeful. The planning's all all been set up for the five teams to go down to Shell Harbour this weekend for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we're looking forward to that one. We've also set up a women's WNWBL tournament at the AIS in Canberra for later in in July and August in the lead-up to the Tokyo Games. We're trying to find ways to provide competitive environments for those gliders and rollers players in the lead-up to Tokyo, and uh, we're hopeful it will go ahead, but um, maybe out of our hands, we'll wait and see.
0: Yeah, it it is. It's almost like a a day-to-day proposition at the moment. Just look at what's happened in Victoria recently. Everything's going along great, and all of a sudden something happens and no-one knows what's going to happen the next day. But let me ask you something, because a lot of people may not be aware of how big wheelchair basketball is in Australia. Could you give us a sense of how many people are playing and uh, how many organizations are involved across the country?
1: Yeah, look, it's a tough one, um, but there's plenty. I mean, I was up in um, Queensland, up in Brisbane only three weeks ago for the Queensland Classics, and they're able to run their state-based competitions. And they had about oh, 16 to 20 teams come into Brisbane uh, for a tournament up there for wheelchair basketball, mainly seniors. There's a few kids pushing around in those teams as well. but um, And they were down probably about 60% of their their teams uh, due to wow. COVID. But um, those sort of competitions take place around the country. And Victoria's obviously got its um, sort of state competition, which takes place out at Killsythe once a week on a Wednesday. I know WA's got their own competition, which happens quite regularly. New South Wales is kicking off a new competition linked to their Waratah League. So there's the New South Wales Waratah League. They're going to have eight new club teams wow. um, spread throughout New South Wales. There's 35 new players who have, who have registered for that competition alone at the moment. The expressions of interest are still open for that one. And I can I can run through the teams if that helps a little bit, but they're the Blacktown Storm Uh, Canberra Gunners, Central Coast Crusaders, the Hills Hornets, uh, Illawarra Hawks, MacArthur Heat, Newcastle Hunters and Sutherland Sharks. So it will start as an eight-team competition. It's a sporting New South Wales Waratah League and um, it's a great initiative partnership between Wheelchair Sports New South Wales uh, and Basketball New South Wales to get this off the ground. And they're looking at, well, in total six weekends. It's going to be four What they're calling central venue rounds across July and August, and then they'll have two finals weekends in August and September.
0: Okay, so obviously, one of the biggest issues for wheelchair basketball is the ability to be able to get the message out there. Mm -hmm. Basketball, particularly, has had a tough time of it uh, with COVID, like everybody else, Mm. in terms of notifying people what's going on, how it's happening, what's happening. How can people help? Wheelchair basketball raise its profile?
1: Oh, gosh. I, I guess it's sort of just talking about the good things that are happening, you know, and telling the stories around the country of, of what they're doing and what's going on. All the different states are doing different things, and some of them are really great initiatives. And obviously, with the Paralympics and, you know, an Olympics on this year, there's so many good stories around that, whether it's individuals or teams or what have you. There's another good one in Victoria where they've just started up their state development program. So, these state development programs have been running for the able bod underage 16s, 18s kids for many, many years. They actually included the wheelchair basketball kids for the very first time in May, 22nd of May at Bendigo Basketball. So they've started a wheelchair program now within that program. So alongside the able bod kids, they've got another one coming up on the Saturday, the 28th of August at Bendigo Stadium. So it's just about building the programs within each state. And then, you know, hopefully those states, whether it's Basketball Victoria, Basketball New South Wales, or Basketball Queensland, as an example, telling those stories, whether it's through social media, websites, those sorts of things. And because there is a lot of good things going on, and we haven't been great for many years, I guess, telling those stories around what those teams are doing or what those individuals are doing. Um, and I think once you get into the melting pot of basketball, which is, uh, so busy and there's so many teams, whether around the Olympic, Paralympic and the NBL and WNBL and the different state leagues, you know, it's sort of um, hard to get a look in sometimes with, with so much going on.
0: Yeah, it's kind of this really, really weird problem. You've got not enough noise going on, but then there's also too much scattering of what there is happening because there are just so many leagues and so much going on. I really like the idea of the the state leagues, which is obviously a great way to develop the players through. How difficult was it to get clubs on board with the idea of supporting wheelchair basketball given, you know, the costs that are involved just with keeping the lights on and the doors open?
1: To be fair, I think getting these clubs to to put up their hands and and Look, I haven't been intimately involved with the, the new New South Wales Waratah League, but I have been involved in some meetings in the early stages of this getting up and also in conversations with Brad Ness and Craig Friday around the WA League that started up. And it's really not that difficult once once someone within the state is committed and on board and driving it. Mm-hmm. Um, the clubs are quite happy to jump on board and, and really keen and, and passionate about it, so it's... It's pretty easy once they get to that okay, we're committed to running a league here, and now let's start to roll it out and get some expressions of interest and that part seems to come pretty easily so people want to do it once they get it up and running they they do love it, and you can tell the you know the participants are super passionate so it's there's a lot of you know doing it for the love of the game there's a lot of volunteers that want to get involved so I, th- I think it's easy once the back office administration's set up and committed and ready to go and roll out, which Wheelchair Sports New South Wales and, and Basketball in New South Wales have done a great job in you know getting together and, and building a, a partnership there to roll it out. And from there, it's seemingly coming together pretty easily for them. And
0: obviously, having this increase in, in state-based and nationally improvements in, in participation, that would mean that that would place us well going forward for Paralympics as well.
1: Oh definitely. Yeah. Th- those pathways where they're able to provide a structured league, you know, where where players are, are gonna be attracted to it from whatever region or suburb or, or community that they live in, that just ends up doing the job for us. It's it's the same as what the basketball associations do right now for our opals and our boomers and our, our junior teams, the gems, et cetera. That they're the breeding ground for the players and, and it's about providing the pathways, the open doors, the courts that they can rock along, start playing and then uh, eventually the, the cream will rise to the top. So the more of these sort of, whether it's state development programs in Victoria or these Waratah leagues in New South Wales or the WA SBL League in Western Australia, then the players will find those competitions, the coaches will find the players um, the teams will 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 continue to compete, and we'll we'll end up finding the players we need to um to build the teams for national national teams and international competition.
0: It's interesting because I haven't been able to watch a lot of wheelchair basketball. I have seen a few games at Brighton Stadium when they you know from time to time, and one of the things that I find really astounding is I think the wheelchair athletes play tougher and harder. Than the able-bodied athletes, because I'm watching that those games, and I'm thinking to myself, I would not want to be out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I guess it, the difference is you've got a metal object that you're pushing around, and um, there is a lot of you know a lot of crashes and a, a lot of physicality with the chairs. So, and the sparks literally fly, which you can see it when the game goes on. So, it is pretty exciting. Um, it's noisy. It can be extremely fast, especially at the international level. You know, you'd be blown away by a game with Australia, Great Britain or Australia, USA, especially on the men's side. The speed of the game is phenomenal. So, it, and it does get very physical. And I think, you know, people can relate to the, to the movies or the documentary around Murderball, which is the wheelchair rugby, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Paralympic version of, of rugby that is incredibly physical as well. However, the wheelchair basketball is way faster, way more agile and can have as big a hits or a lot lot bigger hits because the guys can move their chair faster because the wheelchair rugby guys are at a next level of disability being quads than what our guys are paras. So, you know, there's a difference between the athlete types that can play those sports uh, and therefore wheelchair basketball is much faster and much quicker.
0: Okay, and, and you've touched – on a couple of things in that answer that I want to talk about. The first one is the level of disability. Now, I know that not that long ago, there were some players who were told they don't qualify to play for the Olympics because of how their disability was rated. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that? I I just don't get it.
1: Yeah, look, it it is a little bit difficult and it can be a little bit confusing, you know, and I'm no medical expert either, but um, it all comes under the banner of classification. And obviously the way Paralympic sports designed, all the different sports are designed quite differently to make sure that all injury types are able to play some type of sport. Now, that doesn't mean they can all play wheelchair basketball and that doesn't mean that all wheelchair basketballers can play wheelchair rugby or or mm-hmm. play botcher yep. or other sports. It's really defined by the IPC code of injuries and there's about eight different injury types on that list for wheelchair basketball and it, and you need to ensure that your health condition or injury falls in under that code. So if you don't have an injury type that doesn't align to those eight injury types for wheelchair basketball, then you're ineligible. Now, the IWBF has had a different set of rules over time to the IPC code. Now, when we go into Paralympic Games, we've got to align by the IPC code, not the IWBF guidelines. So the the rules do change a little bit. And at the moment, the IWBF and the IPC are working hard Uh, to get on the same page with their classification. So there is a bit of work to be done, and they're still trying to get that sorted.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, obviously there would have been an astounding amount of disappointment for those athletes Mm. finding out so late in the piece that, hey, you know, you don't qualify to play.
1: Yeah, incredibly disappointing and, um, you know, really a major major hit for our program with us losing two of our high-point female athletes from the gliders. There was about 11 athletes from around the world that were ruled out of the Paralympic Games and and international wheelchair basketball. Uh, Really unfortunate for them. The two that we lost were Tisha Shadwell out of Victoria and Annabelle Lindsay out of the ACT and two young girls who um, actually helped our team qualify for the Tokyo Paralympics at the AOZ Championships in 2019 in Thailand. Yeah, look, it's heartbreaking for them. It's it's really difficult. Two girls that used to play able-bod basketball, one of them used to play for the um, ACT rep basketball teams and the other one for Killsyth Cobras down in Victoria but um, can't run and jump anymore due to their leg injuries. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they were eligible under the IWBF rules and, and obviously competed for a few years for us. And we have big plans for those ladies for um, for many years to come because they're both quite young, so really hard for them because because they can't go back to able bod basketball because they can't keep up physically, but they've also been ruled out of wheelchair basketball. So and really tough for the girls, our gliders team who who were working with those two for a very long time and and preparing for the games with those girls on board, and they were you know leading rebounders and leading scorers for us. So um, it's really big hits for the gliders program going into Tokyo. But in saying that, they're working hard, the, the girls that are still left, and they're you know, preparing to go in there and compete and and hopefully can do well.
0: Okay. And the other point you mentioned, you sort of had this throwaway about Britain and Australia playing in terms of the, the speed and the physicality of the game. Just recently, the UK came out and they're, they're establishing a premier wheelchair basketball league. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you would have been looking at how they've set this up and and what, what they've done to set it up. What lessons can we learn here in Australia and what can we, you know, to not put too fine a point on it, blatantly steal from their ideas to actually try and help boost our own wheelchair basketball programs?
1: Yeah, look, it's probably not lacking ideas. What the key difference is, is £2.7 million in funding. Wow. Yeah. So we picked up some Pathways funding, which has been a great boost for our program, and it's going to allow us to do some new great initiatives with some different states, which I'll go into in a minute. But the key difference in funding is, you know, we picked up around 190000 in Pathways funding. Their Pathways funding was £2.7 million. And so what they can do with that money, you know. yeah you know, employ a bunch of people, um, partner up with a bunch of universities, put their first, you know, call it a Premier League or university leagues together. Um, yes. we, we've had leagues running for many, many years nationally, so it's not the first National League to be put in place for women around the world. We've had that going for a fair while, and there's there's a couple of others around the world as well. But, yeah, it's hard to compete with that sort of money. That additional Pathways funding money they're getting is, you know, three times what we get for our overall funding and that's an additional piece of funding so that's not their key sport funding for wheelchair basketball that's just for pathways which is a fantastic pickup for them but um we're obviously competing on different levels uh for the next few years that's for sure
0: yeah that's an astounding amount of money Mm. and that brings me to another point which is From my observations on the outside, and I am no expert, it appears to me that wheelchair basketball does not get any attention from commercial sponsors. Would that be fair?
1: Yeah, look, it's definitely a problem for us. We have a great um, clothing partnership with Peak Sports in China who do, do a great job for our teams and all of our national program teams. Uh, here at Basketball Australia. Apart from peak, from a clothing standpoint, we don't have a lot of commercial partners directly related to the wheelchair program, whether the the rollers, the gliders, our under 23 men spinners, our under 25 women devils uh, and our pathways programs. We haven't had sponsors as long as I can remember. So this is about my ninth year in the program. And look, we've had a few minor ones across the journey but definitely no significant funding that's for sure.
0: Okay and, and I'm a bit surprised because uh, I think it was late last year, I'm not sure exactly when, wheelchair sports launched a video anthem to inspire young women and girls, How I Roll I think it was called. Did did you guys notice that there was an uptick in terms of engagement with wheelchair basketball after that came out or not really?
1: Our relationship with Wheelchair Sports New South Wales uh, has been getting better and better and better through the years since um, Mick Garnett, who's the CEO there, came on board a number of years back, and he's been really proactive in the partnerships with basketball and basketball New South Wales and Basketball Australia, and um, we've had a lot of great meetings and discussions with him over time, and he's been a super supporter for our sport. As far as a, a step up from that initiative and program and with numbers, I couldn't tell you to be fair.
0: Fair enough. Okay, so now the, the $64,000 question, how do we get more commercial involvement with wheelchair sport? Because like I said, I've seen some games and they are, they're amazing to watch, the mm. astounding athletes. How do we get that to be seen?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. Um, It is really costly to um, try and bring teams to Australia. We do try and do it from time to time and we generally bring them to the AIS in Canberra. It is an ideal location as far as accessibility, rooms that are accessible, um, not having to get on and off transport all the time. You've got Mm -hmm. a food hall there. You've got the basketball courts. You've got a strength and conditioning venue, recovery venue, cafe, meeting rooms. It's all on site in the one place. The problem with that is we don't get to take the teams all that often around the rest of the country. So to get eyeballs on that sport where we might have Japan come out or USA or Germany, which have been the last three countries that have come down to Australia to visit us, and we also need to make it worthwhile for them to come. So we, we would generally pay all their costs When they come here, so their accommodation, transport, food, we cover that cost as a national program out of our high-performance funding from uh, Sport Australia okay um they would pay for their flights and then we would cover all the additional costs because for them in if they're a team in Great Britain or a, a German team who can easily you know cross into the Netherlands or head into Spain and get similar competition anytime they want it for mm. for very cheap we've got to find ways to incentivize them to come down here so, We'd love to do more of it, and uh, it is very costly. And obviously, COVID's slowed some of that down. But you know, we'll come out of that at some point. And um, yeah, if we did have um, it's probably some more commercial backers and, and, and funding, that would be you know great for us to be able to offer, the, offer more opportunities like that.
0: Having heard that, it makes me realise that our wheelchair sports really punch above their weight in terms of international competition, given that the lack of regular international play. Our teams are playing nationally, and they don't get exposure to as often as some of the other teams will internationally. Would that be right?
1: Yeah, well, those teams are playing right now in Spain, in Italy, Germany. Their competitions are running, so they're preparing for Paralympic Games, and all of these players have been playing in their club teams since November last year. So, We've got a few players overseas in those teams that are on their way back to Australia, one of them actually on a plane from Singapore right now. But um, they get to do that, you know, week in, week out um, with their club teams and get a lot more competition in the Euro Leagues than what we are able to do. So, yeah, our guys have been batting above their um, average for a very long time performance-wise, and what we're able to do with small numbers as compared to the rest of the world, and put really competitive teams on the floor generally over and over and over is a real testament to the players, the service providers that help them out, the coaches that lead the teams. You know, the Rollers is probably the most successful basketball team and maybe team sports team that we have in the country, one of of the top few and probably number one in basketball as far as returning medals from World Championships and and Paralympic Games.
0: It's funny you mention that because I wasn't aware of that fact. Mm. And the reason reason it's funny you mention that is because not that long ago I was having a discussion with some people and they're not big basketball fans, but they were actually stunned at the number of medals that the Opals had pulled in in comparison to the Boomers. And so it's almost like the teams that are getting the least amount of airtime are the ones who are pulling in the most spectacular results in terms of medals.
1: Yeah, look, it's pretty fair. And look, we've kind of got used to that a little bit. Even our girls have been very successful Paralympic Games in being able to land medals, which has been great. The Opals are extremely successful and and obviously a a wonderful team for basketball. And and hopefully they do extremely well in, in Tokyo coming up and always managed to get on the podium, which is unbelievable. And I noticed, you know, they have named their team, which is um, going to generate a lot of interest, no doubt. However, the rollers, we were going for three world championships back to back. So gold medalists in 2010, 2014, and then we're, we're going for um, three in a row in 2018 and, and won a bronze medal. So the guys have been extremely successful for a long period of time and they would be the most successful basketball team in Australia. Wow, it's,
0: it's it's really like I said, it really surprises me because this is the sort of news that should be out there everywhere, in front of everybody, and it just it just doesn't get out there.
1: Mm. But
0: and now that you mention the World Cup, we've got the FIBA Women's World Cup coming up next year. Now, yes. when we spoke about a week and a half, two weeks ago, you mentioned that there's potential for. Uh, wheelchair basketball activity at the World Cup or that you guys are discussing it. Can you give us a bit more of a, a rundown on what that could look like?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's really early stages and I'm not even sure how much I'm supposed to be saying. But, um, <laughs> I'm putting it on the spot, Lee. Yeah, yeah. No, um, the local organising committee have definitely had discussions with us around some wheelchair basketball, some ID basketball, and a few other things in the women's space, all forming part of that big event next year in Sydney, which will be super exciting. There's discussion around three-on-three format or five-on-five. It's, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment, but we're looking to hopefully invite in an overseas team, one or two teams to join in in that event. And I think it'll run for the period of time that the World Championships is on. So it'll be a great opportunity for Basketball Australia, great opportunity for the Gliders program, Uh, and women's wheelchair basketball in the country, as well as obviously the Opals uh, and all the teams attending and um, basketball in general, especially for New South Wales. It's going to be uh, a fantastic event.
0: Okay. So the next thing that's got me curious is in relation to the upcoming competitions, right? So you said that the, the men's is this weekend in Shell Harbour and the women's is going to be in July, August in Canberra.
1: Yeah, 29th of July to the 3rd of August. So okay. that will be a tournament. We'll only have four teams for that one on the women's side. And the fourth team will actually put together, Basketball Australia, will put together of some players that have missed out because a couple of the clubs haven't wanted to commit to that because of the COVID risks, which yep. is um, fair enough. And so we will grab the players that are still looking for a game and put them together and and fund that team to make sure we've got four teams, which will be literally two weeks before the gliders head to Tokyo.
0: Right. At this point anyway, does it look like there will be the ability for uh, spectators to come to those tournaments?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's open for the spectators uh, this weekend in Shell Harbour, 28th to the 30th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We've got five teams there on the men's side for that competition, uh, which is the Perth Wheel Cats, Queensland Spinning Bullets, Sydney Metro Blues, which is um, from Hills Basketball Association, and the Wollongong Rollerhawks. The fifth team we've brought into that is our Junior Australian Under-23 Men's program, who are preparing for their Asia-Oceana zone championships at the end of this year in Bahrain. And so we're trying to get them some competition for preparation. And so we've made up a fifth team in the men's league and we'll, we'll fund that out of Basketball Australia's high performance program to give them an opportunity to compete at a really high level because those four men's teams at the NWBL will be super strong and it'll be very high quality.
0: Okay, so just hearing this, is there's this whole thing going on with wheelchair basketball that we really don't hear about. So one of the things I'd like to do as part of the podcast is check back in with you in a while to see how things are progressing with wheelchair basketball, because while the podcast predominantly focuses on uh, women's basketball, I think the, the issues that women's basketball faces is amplified for wheelchair basketball.
1: Oh, yeah, no, no question you know, the, you've only got to look at the numbers in the pathway from a, a women's perspective or girls' perspective to our junior boys and a men's perspective. And we had similar camps for our under 23 men more recently. And we've got, you know, 35, 40 young boys who are who were fighting for those squad spots. Then we had our twenty five under 25 girls last week and we came up with 15 girls three years ago for our under 25 girls. I think we had 13 all up and we finished with 11 for our world champs. So there's always a an issue with the numbers on the girls' side and having sufficient numbers in the pathways. So if anyone's out there and, and knows someone or is listening and wants to get involved, you don't need any background in basketball, you don't need any basic skills, we'll work with you and, and teach you with, for all of that and you're more than welcome to come straight into an Aussie camp program at the AIS.
0: That's great. It's really uh, encouraging to see that there's those opportunities are available to athletes to be able to get involved at that level. But, yeah, definitely, Lee, I would really love to come back and, and talk some more about this because there's obviously a lot going on. There's, I think, a lot of opportunities for Australia in the wheelchair basketball space. Mm-hmm. And definitely. I think, unfortunately, because of just the way things are, they just don't get the airtime that they deserve. No, so, I think
1: that's very fair. Absolutely um, is challenging at times to get the you know, promotion and get the message out there. And just on that, we do have our second round of the Men's National League in your backyard in New South Wales at the Hills Basketball Stadium. So that's okay. the 11th to the 13th of June. Yep. Um, so that's only three weeks away. And all those five teams will be up there for round two of the Men's National League. So good opportunity for Sydney siders to get out there and have a look.
0: Definitely, that's just And just
1: on that, all of our Paralympians, so everyone who's in the last squad of 16 for selection for the rollers will be playing in those games, um, oh, going great. head-to-head. So it's, it's as good as you'll see any time, any year.
0: Awesome. Lee, I want to thank you for your time, and I really look forward to catching up with you again and finding out some more about wheelchair basketball.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul, and uh, happy to come on any time, mate, and um, thanks for the opportunity.
0: Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.